Welcome to the teaching ministry of Magnolia's First. To learn more, visit m1bc.org. Well, we're continuing in our series that we began last week entitled Ambassadors in a Foreign Land. And we're looking at the way that we are to relate to the citizens of this foreign land in which we live. It's foreign to us because we are followers of Jesus Christ and citizens of the kingdom of God. And we are called, as we'll see as I read a scripture that we looked at last week, we are called, if we are Christ followers, to be an ambassador for Christ. And we came across this definition last week of an ambassador. An ambassador is an accredited diplomat sent by a country as its official representative to a foreign country. Official representative to a foreign country. And that's what we are. We live in a, in a country that is, uh, and not just the United States, but this planet Earth. We live in a, a land that is foreign to the kingdom of God. And so Christ calls us, who have received him by faith and committed our hearts and our lives uh, to follow him as his ambassadors. The Apostle Paul put it this way, 2 Corinthians 5, 19 and 20. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. And then here it is, verse 20. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead with our words, with our actions, with our lives come back to God. And we said last week, as we who are Christ followers can, can really come to terms with who we are. Uh, and the scripture uses multiple images. We are uh, sons and daughters of the living God. We are uh, collectively and individually the bride of Christ. We are soldiers in the Lord's army. But as Paul said in the passage I just read, we are ambassadors for Christ. And if we can come to terms with what that means about who we are, then we can understand our purpose. We can understand why we are here. Uh, why am I even on planet earth? Why was I ever born? What was my creator's purpose for me? And it was to be his ambassador. Now, now let me just say to anyone who might be here in the worship center today or watching online, if you've not come to the place of becoming a Christ follower, and we talk about that a lot around here, and, and what that simply means is that one comes to the place where they believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God and the Savior of the world, and based upon that belief, that faith, they, as we often say, step across the line of faith to say, Lord, I believe in you. I commit my heart, mind, and life to you to follow you for the rest of my days. And we testify of that in believer's baptism. And so if, if you have not yet done that, then I hope you'll hear what that would be about in your life if you were to come to the place of putting your faith in Christ, receiving the gift of God's grace, and the gift of eternal life. But for most of the people to whom I'm speaking today, here in the worship center, at home online, listening to a podcast, most of you have done that at some point. You can remember a point in your past where you believed in Jesus, 
You made that public through believer's baptism, and though imperfectly, you and I have sought to be faithful to that, to follow Jesus Christ. And so a part of that is being his ambassador. And as his ambassador, this is the purpose for which we were placed on planet earth. Let me put it this way. You were placed on this earth to bring God glory and to make him and his kingdom known. That's your mission. That's your purpose. That's your reason for existing. That is the way that you make an eternal difference in the world, the very troubled world in which we live. So, Ambassador, how do we represent him? How do we relate to those who are citizens not of the kingdom of God by faith, but are citizens of this world? How do we seek to bring impact and influence for Christ and his kingdom upon their hearts and their lives? And specifically, today's message is not only how do we relate to the citizens of this foreign land, how do we relate to the governing authorities? How do we relate to those who are in positions of power, whether it would be the the local level, state level, or the national level? How how do we relate to them? And so uh, I want to give you the big idea. We do this in every Sunday's message. The big idea that kind of condenses it all down to one simple short statement that I hope you can kind of remember, and then I'll unpack it. Here's our big idea for today. An ambassador respects those in authority and treats everyone with grace. That's what we do. We respect those in authority, and we treat everyone with grace. So we're going to be looking at uh, several different passages of Scripture, but I want to begin with Jesus. That's a good place to start, don't you think? Let's see what Jesus did when he was called upon one day by those who were not his friends to explain how his followers should relate to those in authority. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them with me to Matthew chapter 22. We'll begin with verse 15. I'll be teaching, as I always do, from the New Living Translation. If you're new to Magnolias First and you're not familiar with that translation, uh, it's one of the, the accurate translations to the Greek and the Hebrew of the original languages of the Bible. And in my humble but accurate opinion, Hope you caught that. I think it's the easiest translation of all the modern translations to understand. So we teach from that. But you follow along in whatever translation of the Bible you may have. Matthew 22, beginning with verse 15. Just picture this in your mind. Then the Pharisees met together to plot how to trap Jesus into saying something for which he could be arrested. They sent some of their disciples along with the supporters of Herod, he was the government official, to meet with him, meaning Jesus. Teacher, they said, we know how honest you are. You teach the way of God truthfully. You are impartial and don't play favorites. Now, their words sound respectful. It seems like they're trying to to speak in a courteous way, that they admire Jesus. But Jesus knew their hearts. They weren't being respectful. They were being deceitful. They were being treacherous. Uh, Their hearts were murderous. They wanted Jesus dead. And though they're trying to sound like they admire him, all the while they're setting a trap for him. 
So continue on, verse 17. They say, now tell us what you think about this. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus knew their evil motives. You hypocrites. I love Jesus. I mean, he just speaks it like it is. You hypocrites, he said. Why are you trying to trap me? Now, here was the deal. They had on one side Caesar and the Roman government. And the thing about Caesar was that he claimed for himself deity. He, he claimed to be a god, god with a little g. He believed that he deserved to be worshipped. And that's what he wanted those in the Roman government to do, to worship him. And so the Pharisees thought, if we could get Jesus to say, yes, you ought to pay homage to Caesar by giving, uh, paying your taxes, then we could entrap him by saying, you're guilty of teaching in contradiction to the Old Testament law that says you shall have no other gods before me. But if Jesus said, no, you shouldn't pay taxes to Caesar, then they thought we've got him because he would be teaching his followers to do something illegal under Roman law, thus inciting insurrection. So they thought either way, we've got him. They thought they had Jesus backed into a corner. They thought they had him trapped in a can't escape no-win situation. And I can almost envision them with arrogant smirks on their face. But they had no idea that Jesus would respond this way. Verse 19. Here, show me the coin used for the tax. When they handed him a Roman coin, he asked, whose picture and title are, are stamped on it? Caesar's, they replied. Well then, he said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. Now, Jesus was so wise. Understand what was happening here and what was not happening. What he was saying and what he was not saying. Jesus was not, hear me on this, Jesus was not endorsing the Roman government. He was not endorsing a, a godless pagan government, the very government that would be complicit, that would actually order his crucifixion. Jesus was not affirming or authorizing the Roman government. And yet, Jesus understood that his heavenly Father had allowed the Roman government to be in that place at that time for the purpose of keeping order in the society. Jesus understood that the Lord does that so that with government, the society will not devolve into to chaos and anarchy. So here's something that I think Christians are confused about that they just don't seem to understand. And it's this, Jesus didn't come to fix earthly government and make perfect government on earth, human government. That, that was not his mission. That was not his purpose. You will never hear him talking about how the Roman government ought to reform. Jesus came instead to bring a new kingdom to bring a new rule upon earth that will someday overthrow all human governments and Jesus will be the one that 
before whom every knee will bow and every tongue confess. Jesus came to usher in a new kingdom, the kingdom of God, and to tell us how we can be a part of it. So, how did Jesus relate to governing authorities? Let me put it this way. Jesus had contempt for religious hypocrisy, but he showed respect to governing authorities. And may I add, as his ambassadors, so must we. The Apostle Paul understood this, and he unpacked it as a biblical principle for us in Romans chapter 13. Again, if you have your Bibles, open it there. Romans chapter 13. Hear clearly the words of instruction from the Apostle Paul to the early believers, who, by the way, were living in Rome, the very seat of power of the Roman government. Romans 13, verse 1. Everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So, anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Do what is right, and they will honor you. The authorities are God's servants, sent for your good. But if you are doing wrong, of course you should be afraid, for they have the power to punish you. They are God's servants, sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. So... You must submit to them, not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. Now, let's pause in the passage for a moment and just admit this, this that we, we all know is true. Earthly governments in this fallen world will never be perfect. Well, I, I thought I'd get a bigger amen to that. Uh, earthly governments will never be perfect. Our government is not perfect. No government is perfect. And yet, they serve a purpose in the plan of a sovereign God. And what's that purpose? God puts governing authorities in place because without government, a society deteriorates into chaos. It deteriorates into chaos. Government serves a purpose. So let me continue the passage with one of the most unpopular verses in the New Testament. Are you ready? Verse 6. Pay your taxes too for these same reasons. For government workers need to be paid. They are serving God in what they do. Give to everyone what you owe them. Pay your taxes and government fees to those who collect them. Now, don't miss the last phrase because it's the real punchline in what we're looking at today. And give respect and honor to those who are in authority. Give respect and honor to those who are in authority. And so let, let, let me bring even more clarification with this statement. We will not always agree with or admire governing authorities. But as his ambassadors, we are commanded to show them respect and honor. Now let me get personal so I can make some people mad. Are you, are you ready? It troubles me deeply 
to see those that I know are professing Christians speak or post on social media things that are slanderous and just plain mean against people that they disagree with. In fact, I I saw a social media post not long ago where someone that I know is a professing Christian call our current president on social media a snake. Now, just in case you're wondering, let me make this clear. There are a host of issues that our current administration holds that I disagree with passionately, not the least of which is abortion. I am pro-life with every fiber of my being, and I disagree passionately with those that are pro-abortion. But that does not give me the right to speak slanderously against those in authority that hold positions different than mine. Now, let me clarify this. As American citizens, we have the right of free speech. As long as it's not a threat against someone else, as American citizens, we have the right to say anything we want about anybody. But hear me, as ambassadors of Christ, we do not have that right. We do not have that right. In fact, if you believe that you are a Christ follower, a Bible-believing Christ follower, and you will insist on having that kind of attitude and, and speaking in slanderous ways toward others, especially those in authority, then you're just going to have to tear Romans 13, 1 through 7 out of your Bible. Just rip it out and throw it away. And here's another passage you'll have to rip out as well. Titus 3, verses 1 and 2. Look at it. Again, the Apostle Paul. Titus 3, 1 says, Remind the believers to submit to the government and its officers. They should be obedient, always ready to do what is good. Now, verse 2 is, is the key verse here for us. They must not slander anyone and must avoid quarreling. Paul is saying that is not the attitude and the action of a true ambassador of Christ. It's different. He says, instead, they should be gentle and show true humility to everyone. To everyone. Even people who are wrong about things, even people who are different than us. The Apostle Paul helped us to understand how he tried to relate to people who he believed were in the wrong about things and were very different from him. You may never have seen this passage, but let me read it to you. Again, this is the Apostle Paul, this time 1 Corinthians 9, 20 and 21. Now, I want to read it to you from the paraphrase of the Living Bible because to me through the years, this has been almost like Paul was talking to me about how he sought to live. So just listen to these words. They'll be on the screen. 1 Corinthians 9, 20 from the Living Bible. Paul said, when I'm with the Jews, I seem as one of them so that they will listen to the gospel and I can win them to Christ. When I'm with Gentiles who follow Jewish customs and ceremonies, I I don't argue, even though I don't agree, because I want to help them. When with the heathen, and you can just decide how to define that term, the heathen, people who don't know the Lord, people who don't believe the Bible, 
when I'm with the heathen. I agree with them as much as I can, except, of course, that I must always do what is right as a Christian. And so, by agreeing, whenever I can, about whatever I can, I can win their confidence and help them too. Paul says that's how an ambassador lives. Let me put it this way. An ambassador is not to compromise the values and principles of his homeland, but he is to build a bridge to those who need to know his king. Now, Paul said that's how he sought to live. That, that was hypothetically. That, that was in theory how he tried to live. But did he really do that? Uh, you know the old saying, words are cheap. Did he really live that way? I mean, when the heat was on and he was in the midst of those who believed and acted very differently from him, did Paul really live that way? I, I want to take you to one more scene in Scripture uh, in the book of Acts. I'm going to start in just a moment with Acts chapter 25, verse 23. If you're a Bible student, you know that the book of Acts is the history of the early church. It tells us how the church got started, how the gospel spread in the first century, how Christianity uh, spread throughout the world of its day and has continued to spread all the way to our, our day. The book of Acts is a book of history, and the Apostle Paul is one of the main players in this dramatic history of the early church. And so in Acts chapter 25, when we get to verse 23, here's the scene. The, the Pharisees, the same guys that hated Jesus and wanted him dead, and their followers have been pursuing the Apostle Paul, trying to find something that they could get him indicted uh, on under Roman law and convicted of so that he would be executed. They wanted his life. And so they were pursuing him and they were pressing the Roman officials uh, to convict the Apostle Paul and have him executed. And he had come before a particular Roman official named Festus. And Festus had examined their charges and he had, had looked at Paul, he had talked to Paul, and he couldn't find anything that he thought was, uh, you know, worthy of conviction and execution. But, but, Paul, as a Roman citizen, invoked his right to appeal all the way to Caesar, the, ki the king. It would be like uh, a, an appeal in our judicial system directly to the Supreme Court. And that was his right. And so he didn't vote that right. And so Festus now has to send Paul to Rome where Caesar is to appear before Caesar, but he's got to have charges. And he can't figure out how to, to bring an indictment against Paul that would make any sense. So uh, an official, a more powerful official than Festus, uh, a guy named Agrippa, who was the the ruler over the region of Palestine. They gave him the title of king, so he's King Agrippa, was coming into town with his whole entourage. And so Festus thought, okay, uh, Agrippa is, is an expert in Jewish law and ritual and tradition. I, I'm going to let Paul appear before him. And so Agrippa's coming to town, but here's what Agrippa was like. He's bringing with him his wife, Bernice, who is also his sister. 
So this guy is not a godly man, all right? He, he's not somebody who's moral. Uh, this is the kind of character he is. But he, he comes into town with his wife, sister, and the whole entourage of military officers and officials, you know, kowtowing to him. And so Paul is about to appear before this king named Agrippa. So that's the, that's the setting. Let's pick it up. Acts 25, 23. So the next day, Agrippa and Bernice arrived at the auditorium with great pomp, accompanied by military officers and prominent men of the city. Festus ordered that Paul be brought in. Then Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are here, this is the man whose death is demanded by all the Jews, both here and in Jerusalem. But in my opinion, he's done nothing deserving death. However, since he appealed his case to the emperor, I've decided to send him to Rome. But what shall I write the emperor? For there is no clear charge against him. So I have brought him before all of you, and especially you, King Agrippa, so that after we examine him, I might have something to write. For it makes no sense to send a prisoner to the emperor without specifying the charges against him. So you see the dilemma that Festus was in, that he was wanting Agrippa to help figure out how to state charges against Paul so that he could present him to Caesar. So Paul now in Acts 26 is appearing before Agrippa. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you may speak in your defense. So Paul, gesturing with his hand, it's singular there, I believe because Paul's other hand was chained. So Paul, gesturing with his hand, started his defense. I am fortunate, King Agrippa, that you are the one hearing my defense today against all these accusations made by the Jewish leaders. For I know that you are an expert on all Jewish customs and controversies. Now please listen to me patiently. You hear the respect that he is giving this godless authority? And what I don't want us to miss for us is when speaking to or about someone who doesn't know Christ and his kingdom, no matter who they are, we are to speak with tact, we're to speak with kindness. We're to speak with grace. So in between verse 4 and verse 21, Paul gives his testimony. He gives his conversion story. He tells Agrippa about the day he was on the road to Damascus and a bright light uh, sent him to the, to the ground and Jesus spoke to him and how God transformed him that day from an enemy of the gospel to a missionary of the gospel, to an ambassador of Christ. And after he has told his testimony to Agrippa, he continues in verse 22. But God has protected me right up until this present time so that I can testify to everyone from the least to the greatest. And I think he motioned toward Agrippa at that moment. I teach nothing except what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and be the first to rise from the dead and in this way announce God's light to Jews and Gentiles alike. Now look at the interruption. Suddenly, Festus shouted, 
Paul, you're insane. Too much study has made you crazy. But look at the respectful response of the Apostle Paul, verse 25. But Paul replied, I am not insane, most excellent Festus. What I am saying is the sober truth. And King Agrippa knows about these things. I speak boldly, for I'm sure these events are all familiar to him, for they were not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Then look, Agrippa interrupted him. Do you think you can persuade me to become a Christian so quickly? And again, the respectful response of the Apostle Paul. Paul replied, whether quickly or not, I pray to God that both you and everyone here in this audience might become the same as I am, meaning a Christ follower, except for these chains. Do you see what had happened here? With his own life at stake, the Apostle Paul presented Christ and the gospel faithfully, clearly, and respectfully to this godless pagan official. Does Agrippa ever come to faith in Christ? We don't know. But what we do know is that the Apostle Paul was a faithful ambassador all the way to the end of his life. Let me conclude this story with the last two verses, 30 and 31. Then the king, the governor, Bernice, and all the others stood and left. As they went out, they talked it over and agreed. This man hasn't done anything to, to deserve death or imprisonment. Paul had been a faithful ambassador and he would continue to be right up until the very end when he wrote what was in essence his last will and testament in 2 Timothy 4, 6 and 7 the last scripture I'll read look Paul said the time of my death is near by the way he was in a Roman dungeon when he wrote this the time of my death is near I have fought the good fight I've finished the race, and I've remained faithful. So, what do we take away today from how Jesus responded to the governing authorities, how Paul responded to the governing authorities with respect and honor? Three quick next steps, and I'm done, that I want to challenge you and I to live out as ambassadors of Christ. Number one, remember that as Christ's ambassador, you are commanded to give honor and respect to those in authority, even if you disagree with them. Even if you disagree with them. And so then out of that comes the second. When you're tempted to criticize or malign or slander a public official, stop. Just stop and pray for them instead. Do what is commanded by Scripture, not what flows naturally from our sinful, resentful hearts. Number three, understand that your mission as Christ's ambassador is to present Christ and the gospel 
and that people will only listen to those who treat them with kindness and with grace. That's what an ambassador does. An ambassador respects those in authority and treats everyone with grace. Let's pray together. Lord, help us to be faithful ambassadors. Help us not to fall under the deception that if we are, a right, that if we are right about any given issue that gives us the license to speak any way we choose. Help us to be mindful that our words will either build a bridge to the gospel for others or will push them further into darkness. Help us as faithful ambassadors to bring the light of Jesus by relating to others as he has taught us. In his name we pray. Amen.